Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I started my life in the spirit here at these altars. Been carrying that around the world. It's been a really good ride. For those of you who are new or thinking about Jesus, what's that? My wife's not here to get me dressed. Is that good enough? No? Okay. All right. We're going to do it this way. This reminds me of Argentina. I don't actually like having a mic in hand, but we'll do it. So we pastored Two Rivers Church in Gilbert, Arizona. Gilbert rhymes with Dilbert. That's what I thought. But it is a very powerful ride right now. I want to encourage you to listen to Pastor Tom's message Saturday morning. He advertised it. He said what he was going to say, which is what he thinks are the marching orders for Lake City, thoughts on the church in the United States. And if you listen to that message, you realize that our churches are intimately linked in DNA. That message could be preached at our church. It's the same thing we're dealing with, the same thing we're thinking about, and we appreciate what he has to say every time he comes. But inside our Fellowship of Christian Assemblies, of which both our churches belong to, there's a couple of handfuls of churches that are right at the cusp of something very powerful, very powerful. For me, two weeks ago, we're in our Saturday night service. Two songs are played, there's a break, and there's a move of the Holy Spirit on the whole congregation. And if you've been listening in the Spirit for a few decades, you go, wow, that's something else. We get to Sunday morning, Our 8.30 is not as good as this one. It's a little bit more accountants, introverts, and financial planners. (laughs) 11 o'clock are crazy Latinos, so that's that's a whole different deal. And in the 11 o'clock, when we got done, I thought to myself, I don't care where I've been, what I've done, what I've experienced, that's the kind of church service that I want to go to. What I just experienced here. There was a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. This is happening all over the United States. Churches are getting right there. And my thought was, okay, if we push this just a little bit farther, where are we going to be? Where are we going to be if this just goes another half step more? But we're seeing the whole nine yards, folks. This year has been a year of deliverance. We're a big city. I don't know if you realize how big Phoenix is. It's really like number five in the nation. 
You can start on the east side, drive 65 miles an hour. It takes two hours to clear the city. It's big, and there's a lot of sin. But in the midst of this sin is this powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And of course, drugs are a big issue all over, and the Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakos. It's where we get the word pharmacy. Is it, is it any wonder that drugs are one of the major things that's destroying our country? It's one of the things that if you're going to redeem a person, you're going to have to see them come out of. But Satan uses those to get people close to him. And so in order to get close to God, you got to get him out. And we've been seeing some amazing things. Amazing things. Like we had a doubleheader a couple weeks ago. It's never happened to me that four pastors in the same hour slot cast demons out of two different groups of people. <laughs> it's like, okay, usually it's one, but it's not a doubleheader. Because these kind of things are happening. They're happening all over the world. There is this drawing near of very broken people. And we get to be part of it. This is an awesome day to be a Christian. You know, they, they told me in 1976 when I was here at the University of Wisconsin, God is dead. And, you know, modern people, you know, don't need Jesus. Oh, my. They were wrong, weren't they? They were so wrong. So, I don't know what to say. What, here's a highlight. It's different than you think. We're two rivers. So, we're the river of the Spirit. We're seeing these miracles. It's all happening. Less raising somebody from the dead, we have seen it all. Goiters fall off, blind people see, deaf people hear. It's all happened. Cancer is healed. That's pretty normal. It's kind of weird to say that, isn't it? But there was a guy, and, and David's his name, and David started coming to you like these Sunday night waiting things. He was from another church. And after I got to know him, I was hoping he stayed at the other church. <laughs> Do me a favor, don't come here. Because David just screwed up. Just screwed up. I mean, how screwed up? The whole thing screwed up. It's just like you can't find it in an area of his life is a disaster. One day, I don't know why, but I'm out in front of the church, and I knew we lived in the apartment complex, kitty corner from the church, and I see him walking on the other side. And I said, it's like, Five lanes of traffic, five lanes, it's kind of typical Phoenix roads. David, what are you doing? He goes, I'm getting a divorce, I'm going, she's out. I won't say what he said. And that's kind of typical, and so we started working with him a little bit. And uh, David, this is how messed up David is. He starts coming to our church. And then, you know, my phone starts going off at midnight, he's texting me, I'm fighting with my wife, and... You know, about the fourth time, it's like, okay, let's have an intervention after the second service on Sunday. I'm tired, but whatever. We're going to help you. Get his wife in there. And we're going through the text messages. And she goes, when did he send that to you? 10 p.m. She goes, I was already in bed. And I'm, David, you were fighting with your wife. You had this whole fight. You started here, you came to this conclusion, and she wasn't even awake. You had this whole thing in your head. You are screwed up. 
So we start our little discipleship with him, and he starts one verse at a time, meditating and memorizing scriptures. It's been just a couple of verses a week. He has become the most coherent, logical, happily married man. I mean, he comes from a terrible family. I met his mother. I go, well, <laughs> this explains a lot. <laughs> and you know, and she, she stands up, and she's so proud of David, and she goes, this is David. He's my first child, and I had him with this man, and my second child I had with another man, and my third child I had with another man, and I had a fourth child, and I'm thinking, David has four brothers, all with different fathers. Was it any reason that David was messed up? And those are the ones that lived because she aborted a few. To see David come into coherency, to see him happily married, to see him stand with his wife and, and love her like she deserves, it's amazing. It's another kind of miracle. And we need them both. We need both miracles. So, I just want to tell you about my life. I'm just going to use a sermon series, and I believe I got it here. I believe I got this here. I got it here in the beginning of my life, but it's continually tweaked by Pastor Tom. It's continually tweaked by this Intimacy with God conference that we have visited both in Montevideo and here whenever he held it. And it's always brought us to this, where are you with God? Where are you with God? Now, in the first parts of our lives in, in Arizona, Two Rivers Church, we were hidden. We were completely hidden. You know, I had in my mind how fast the church was going to grow. That didn't happen. Now, we always had powerful things happening, but we were hidden. We are not that hidden anymore. Now people are asking, so... Give me the formula. Tell, tell me what you did. You know, give me the plan. What, what did you do? Well, it's a pretty easy plan, I can tell you really quick. And they're like, okay, get out the notepad. Here's the plan. Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, and? No, it's Jesus. Well, it's, it's being with Jesus. You can't, you can't fake it. You can't. You can't make it very long without it. And there are churches that have numbers. But don't be deceived. Jesus may not be there. Yonggi Cho, when he came to America, he's a pastor's church of lots in Korea. Takes an hour to empty a church, an hour to fill it. That's a lot of people. He said, what surprises you? about what you've seen here. And he said, what you can do without God. You know, I don't think that's what's being said here. What you're seeing here, you don't understand. This isn't happening at every church. You look at what's happening in your ministries here, there's a spiritual prosperity that's remarkable. It's not happening everywhere. When you look at individual lives, see, what do you measure? Do you measure the number or do you measure the Davids whose lives change? I know it's happening here, just like it's happening in Two Rivers. 
Tom and I have always measured success differently. It's about whether or not God's there. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff you can't do without God. And, and his heart has always been to go after what God can do. And you know what happens? The rest of the stuff takes care of itself. I don't think a lot of people believe Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom. It's his heart, what he wants to do. That's his kingdom. Lots of stuff is our kingdom. He, he said, seek my kingdom. Then he said, seek my righteousness. Do you know what that means? If you want a shortcut, do it God's way. Do it with God's morality in mind. You can't lie, cheat, and steal and build God's kingdom. You can't do it. So seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Do you see that that is what has happened here in these years? Do you see it? Like you guys, we don't take offerings. I haven't taken an offering. Different reason. George Mueller's my reason. I'm actually going to quote him today. We don't take any offerings either, and we're in the same shape financially as this church. Amazing. Amazing. And people go, well, how do you do it? Well, it's like this. If you're part of the body, you know the drill. If you're not part of the body, we're not bugging you. The the family should know what the family should do. And you guys are obedient, and you are living a financial miracle. It's what the kingdom of God should look like. And it's really fun to be part of a church like that, too. So let's go to the message. It's Abide in Me. I'm going to look at this first title slide. Can you do it? We're working on it. There it is. Now, I think this is the whole deal. So Saturday night, this is just last week, lady comes down. We've been dealing with her a little bit, and she's... She's giving the devil all kinds of opportunities, you know. She's worrying and she's in fear and anxiety and she calls it planning. <laughs> I mean, she looks like she's like on the all-star team. I mean, you just look at your face and say, worry. You look at her face and you want to pray to be delivered from her problems. <laughs> so she comes up and she goes, I got a pain in my stomach. And we talked a little bit about different things. I said, okay, put your hand on your stomach. I put my hand on hers. Started praying. (gasps) Oh, yeah, that's what that was. And the husband goes, I saw this black mist come out of her mouth. You know, I didn't see it. Husband saw it, though. That's got to be a little creepy. No pain in her stomach. It's not all like that, but it was this way. That does not come in your first week as a Christian. It doesn't come from a human at all. It will never come from a human. That kind of authority comes from God being in the presence of God. It comes from abiding. There are a bunch of people, they want the shortcut to the Christian life. There is none. It's absolutely no shortcut. So here's my illustration. I'm going to read this story to you. Before I went to Argentina, some of you probably still have it. I gave you a little green book. It was called George Mueller, Man of Faith. It's the reason why I've never, I've always used the offering boxes, but 
these stories have been my friends for years. And these stories lift my vision to, to believe in something bigger than what a human can do. And they're coming true. I read this story. I had never met anybody like it. But it was like the Holy Spirit was reaching off the pages and saying when I was 20 years old, Tom, if you want this, you can have this. But there's only one way. Abide in me. So this is my example of abiding. When I first came to America 31 years ago, this is the you know, probably it's 1930, uh, pastors writing this story. When I first came to America 31 years ago, I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of a steamer who was one of the most devoted men I ever knew. Remember, one of the most devoted men I ever knew. When we were off the banks of Newfoundland, he said to me, Mr. Inglis, last time I crossed here five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened that has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. How can you get your Christian life revolutionized in five weeks? I mean, you got to think about it. This captain probably was a pretty amazing Christian anyway, but he's not revolutionized. His words, up to that time, I was one of your ordinary Christians. We had a man of God on board, George Mueller of Bristol. Man of God is a big title, folks. Careful to take that one. I had been on the bridge for 22 hours and never left it. I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder. It was George Mueller. Captain, he said, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This was Wednesday. It is impossible, I said. Very well. If your ship cannot take me, God will find another means of locomotion to take me. Okay, we've got granola right here. This is, this is nutty, fruity, and flaky right on the ship. <laughs> I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Well, okay, now you got my attention. The captain says, I would willingly help you, but how can I? I'm helpless. Let us go down to the chart room and pray, he said. Oh, it's one of those. I looked at this man and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could this man have come from? I have never heard of such a thing. Mr. Mueller, do you want to know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. See, that's abiding. Some people come to church on Sunday. You abide in Jesus 24-7, seven days a week. You can't just do Jesus on Sunday. That's not abiding. This is, this is abiding. He controls every circumstance of my life. You know, you, know, you know when he gets to do that? When you give it to him. Some of you need to give your circumstances to God. You're not doing that good a job anyway. Why don't you give it up? Let him do it. It's called making Jesus your Lord. He went down on his knees and he prayed one of the most simple prayers. I thought to myself, that would suit a children's class where the children were not more than eight years or nine years of age. The burden of his prayer was something like this. Oh, Lord, if it be consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec for Saturday. I believe it is your will. How long did that take? 
10 seconds? Huh? When he had finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. <laughs> First, he said, you do not believe God will do it. And second, I believe he has done it. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. Woo! Woo! Sorry, dude, don't need your help. I looked at him and George Mueller said this, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there has never been a day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door. You will find the fog is gone. I got up and opened the door, and the fog was gone. <laughs> On Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec. You gotta, you gotta catch some stuff. For 57 years, for 57 years, I have not failed to gain an audience with my king. Now, you need to understand something about George Mueller. Before he came to Christ, he was an absolute disaster. He was on his way to alcoholism, if not an alcoholic. He had no faith in God. He was an excessively good sinner. This isn't somebody who, you know, wore a halo from the time he was born. But after he got saved, he started pressing into the throne. And then he says, because, you know, we think we're unqualified because we're sinners. So was he. Fact is, he was worse than you, probably. God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Take the Apostle Paul. So abide in me, most of you, I don't know if you've seen a grapevine or not, I actually didn't see any grapevines in my life, even though I'm a farmer, until I went to Argentina, because in Wisconsin, we're not that big into grapes. This is not Napa Valley. You know, if you're a dairy farmer, you don't have grapevines. You know, you grow alfalfa, oats, corn, soybeans. That's the stuff I grew on our farm. But this is the illustration of John 15, and the important thing to note is there's fruit there, right? And there's leaves. And the reason is because is it's connected to the vine. Now, I know the illustration is simple because Jesus knew we needed simple. But he was talking to ag agrarian people, people that lived in the country, people even in the city they lived in the country. This is 2,000 years ago. And he knew that they knew that if that branch is not connected to that vine, there will be no fruit. There will be nothing alive on that branch. And so he gives this illustration, you need to be a branch connected to the vine. And we say, no, I don't. I don't really need to be that connected. I can just kind of dangle there for the rest of my life and do it on my own strength. Oh, yeah, you can, but it won't be fun. I mean, like right now, it's fun. Book of Acts. Live the book of Acts. I get up. You know, my wife, she, she's, she's 60. She's, she's thinking about retiring. So her question is, when are you going to retire? Sweetheart, look me in the eyes. Never. 
it's like, why would I give up this job? The salary's lousy, but the benefits are incredible. It's like, things happen every day. I literally get up every day and go to work and wonder what's going to happen. Because something always happens that we didn't expect. We're playing cards that way. Hey, what's going to happen? What's going to happen today? Some days it's calm and it's just a day. Other days, it's crazy. But it's crazy good. It's crazy good. Has this pastor call. You know, we're getting kind of nuts. This pastor calls up, I've met this woman. I think she's demon-possessed. I haven't ever done this, so could I bring her in? Yeah, why not? It's a 25-year-old girl, and I don't do this anymore. So, woman, excuse me, 25-year-old woman. I, got, I have a woman's pastor. Now, I got a weird staff. I hired my woman's pastor when she was 70. And this granny is powerful. I mean, you don't want to get on her bad side. And I'm telling you, I brought, I said, Beverly, get in here. We got this woman. She comes charging in, starts prosecuting this case. We're sitting there looking at her. She's asking a few questions, and this, this girl starts going, well, that's weird. But we're just talking to her. It gets worse. She's like, I go, yep. And she goes, how long they been in there? And this girl says, he's been in here since I'm four. A male pronoun in a woman. Well, that thing left, and she stopped doing all that twitching. Her life has changed. But Beverly's another one of these people, Bud's in the vine. I mean, she's 72 now. I don't know when she's going to retire. She goes to Africa every year. When she hits the country of Burkina Faso, she is, well, before she hits Burkina Faso, 60% Muslim, 40% Christian, the president already knows she's coming. She prophesies to the president, to the government. She prophesied over an army sergeant that he would be the next president of the country. Eight years ago or something like that, he became the president of the country. I mean, this, this is something. Well, she went after that thing, and it was done because she abides. Here's our verse. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in the vine. Abide, there's only a few words in English. Here's the word abode. What is an abode? It's a home where you live. So you abide in an abode. We should be abiding in an abode. When you get there, the Christian life is different. So I I put four messages together. Just going to give you the skim on the top. I preach this four-part series. But point one of this message is to abide, you must come. Now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you already came to Jesus. The problem is we often come for salvation and then we don't come back. 
To abide in Jesus, you must come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Why would we not want to come? Abiding rest is found in abiding nearness. Abiding rest is found in abiding nearness. If you are a Christian and you are not living and experiencing abiding rest, it means you're not abiding near. Abiding rest comes in abiding nearness. And maturing in the Lord is learning how to draw near, which generally means how to throw off so you can come into where Jesus wanted you to go. The call to come to Jesus is followed by two promises of rest. And from one of my devotions, Spurgeon, in his morning and evening, said this, I am a pilgrim in the world, but at home in my God. In the earth I wander, but in God I dwell in a quiet habitation. You don't know what I know about this guy. It doesn't matter where he is. Whether he was in my living room in Buenos Aires, whether he is in my den in Gilbert, Arizona, whether we're on vacation on Lake Wisconsin where we'll be at tomorrow, he always finds his abiding rest in abiding nearness. I have never seen him in all of the hustle and bustle Catching, catching a ferry, going across Rio de la Plata, getting into Montevideo, Uruguay. He's still having a quiet time. He's still drawing near. He's not saying, I'm here with you, but I'll just live off what I got last month in Madison. He never does that. He never does that. Abiding rest is found in abiding nearness. You see Power build little by little as we get near God. We have problems of trust and consecration. I mean, I can, I can trust Jesus. How is this? I can trust him to get born again, but I can't trust him with my life after I get born again? I mean, there's something wrong with that. We have a hard time consecrating ourselves and saying, Lord, I give it all to you. We think, you know, I'll go to Jesus and get saved, and then I'll do the rest of my life. No, you really can't do it that well. I've seen this again and again, again and again. Christians, they come here, they get saved, and then they're having a great time, and then they go away, and they do the prodigal thing, and then they come back, and you go, yeah, you were deceived, because he never wanted you to leave. He always wanted you to come, and he wanted you to rest right there. It's implied in the word surrender. Think about this. By his doing, not your doing, by his doing, the Father's you are in Christ Jesus. By his doing, who's doing? His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. And then you get the rest of it. Who came to us, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, you will be right here where Tim Peterson's body was yesterday. 
you will be in a coffin. And when you really left earth was the day you died, you're going to need not your bank account, not your cabin on the lake. It won't be your car. You will need righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And you get it in who? Jesus. It's already given there. For this life, we need wisdom because it's tough living here. That's just the highlights of one message. Just skimmed it for you. Let's get to verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We read that verse and go, this is not true. I can do all kinds of things. Yeah, you can. You can, you can sweat like a little hamster, you know. Get yourself in the wheel. Sweat dripping off you. You get up. You're just a sweaty little hamster. You've gone nowhere. You have done nothing. When you need God, you're pulling a gun with no bullets. Because you did it yourself. And you thought with all that activity that something was happening. You're thinking like, man, sweating this much, I got to be getting somewhere. Actually, nowhere. Nowhere. You get nowhere without Jesus. We need to believe you can bear much fruit, but apart from me and the real economy, you can do nothing. You can preach the gospel, and the word of God doesn't come back void, but I, I, I can't lie, so I'm just going to tell you the truth. I sit down in my office, somebody comes in, and I know it's a different sort on people because they're in my office. Basically right now, if they're unsaved and they come to my office, they're toast. They're toast. They're going to get saved. It's like, I have two people right now. It's the only two people this year that haven't got saved. Well, I preached the gospel to them twice. The bridge illustration, you know, the drill. Showed it to them. They said, no, they didn't want it. Thank you. We don't need that. I'm thinking, you came here because you're a mess. I think you do. (laughs) I mean, like, it's pretty icky. But here's why. I didn't want to quit drinking. I'm I'm not against drink. You can have a drink. They're not... They don't drink. They swim. (laughs) I mean, the guy's got no problem with alcohol, but they have these little pails at the Country Western bars in Apache Junction, Arizona. And so they got this pail, and you put in five of them little Coronas. Well, my friends went out with them, and while they were there, he had five pails. Not five Coronas, five pails. He had a couple pails before they got. He had a couple pails after they left. So this guy's telling me he doesn't need Jesus. Why? Because he's going to have to stop drinking like that. He has zero money. He has spent money on booze ahead of time. $18,000 at 23% interest on credit cards. I mean, he isn't drinking as much as he used to because he can't buy it. 
And he tells me he doesn't need Jesus. Well, his wife's over there going, hmm. Second time around, I could tell she was breaking. She comes in a couple of times now without him, and she goes, I'm 57 years old. I got nothing. I got nothing. We have drank and spent everything we own. I got to take care of my life. I'm thinking about Jesus. And I said, sweetheart, with him or without him, you need Jesus. You need to come to Jesus because you can do nothing really without him. You were actually saved to abide. Philippians 3.12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Think about this. You were laid hold of. Whenever the devil tells you you can't get near God, you just tell him this verse. No, no, excuse me, devil. Perhaps you didn't get the memo. I was laid hold of by God to get near God. And right now, you can either move over or I'm going through you. Because I was laid hold of to abide near Jesus. I've been a pastor with Jesus and without Jesus. Did you hear that? I know what it's like to be a pastor without Jesus. Here's what happens. Nothing. And it's not much fun either. You're a fake pastor, and if you're a fake pastor like that, then you get a fake congregation. And everybody's doing the whole deal, but you don't have Jesus, so nothing's happening. You know, and finally you go, okay, this isn't working. I think we better go back to Jesus. I was laid hold of for Jesus. Let's see how this works. Boom. Oh, this works. Point one, second week. Most agree it's theoretically possible for someone else to abide in Christ. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Brett can do it, but I can't do it. I'm too busy. Abiding is actually for the busy, for the struggling, for those who never seem to get there. It's for the one who feels untrustworthy and unfaithful in maintaining the connection. Anybody have trouble with your connection with the Lord? Anybody ever feel disconnected? Jesus is for you. Jesus, for the honest ones, there's two here. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is for us. He wants us, even though we are untrustworthy, even though we are unfaithful. If you think you're unfaithful, I'm a pastor, and sometimes I'm unfaithful with my connection. He's still for me. They, they can cast themselves on the one who is trustworthy and is faithful. I mean, you can always go to Jesus. doesn't matter how far you get away. You can always come back. And you can always say, you know, here I am. Nathan Rohde came down to our youth camp, preached some messages to some kids he knew. He was our youth pastor, but they, they were just kids. He's been back here a while. He preached to them. One of them, this redheaded kid, I knew she was wandering. She got up to the pulpit. And she said, I went to school. I met a boy. And he hurt me. And he said things about me that no girl should ever hear. And he broke me. And I got mad at God. And I blamed it on him. And I left. I knew she wasn't. Her body was in church, but she wasn't in church. If you get my meaning. Oh, she's up there in tears. She says, man, I'm back. I'm back. 
she was in that retreat, Nathan was talking, and she's back. And she's now helping other girls who've went through the same thing. You can always come back. Abiding is not a condition for enjoying his salvation, but a consent to let him do it all for us and through us. When I heard this, I'm like, that cannot be true. That cannot be true. What is this? What is this? Just get on your knees, get in the presence of God, give it all to him and let him do it all. What is that? You got to do the hamster thing, especially if you're a pastor. There's a special wheel for pastors to do. Just... (laughs) It's called the pastor hamster wheel, and you do this thing, and, and you look really religious, and nothing happens, and everybody's mad at you, and it's just whatever. It's like, so, so what if you do do this? Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, that's what happens. He does do it all. The fact is, he doesn't do it all. He does more than you thought could be done. He does it in ways that you never thought it would happen. I mean... We left here with a $15,000 offering and some promises for support for 18 months. That's, we left this sanctuary right here. We went down to Phoenix and we did this thing. Nobody's got a job. Nobody's got anything. Tom came down and encouraged us. We were in this school. We had what we called 15-minute chairs. These are plastic things. They tormented your rear so bad in 15 minutes, you were praying for the rapture. Just like... <laughs> Three years, we were in these 15-minute chairs. And we had an hour and a half service. So, I mean, people were pushing through. But then we got a storefront, and I don't know how we paid for all that stuff. And now we bought a building, and we've had it for three years. I don't know how we did that. We started with $250,000. We fixed it up for half a million dollars. We had no money. Then, when we got done, we have a half a million dollars in the bank. Uh, $250,000 in the bank. Now we got a half a million dollars in the bank. We've never had a capital campaign. They, they call us up and they say, hey, could you give us a loan for $8,500? i am thinking all these churches like have been in existence for 50 years. They're asking us for money. He does things that you can't even imagine can be done. There needs to be quiet expectation and confidence resting on the word of Christ that in him there's an abiding place prepared for us. He said, abide in me. These words are no law of Moses, demanding from the sinful what they cannot perform. They are a command of love, which is ever only a promise in a different shape. Andrew Murray. Great guy to read. He didn't get the Holy Ghost. Don't read that book. The rest of it, he got. got, When you read history, you got to remember... They didn't always have full command. But I'm telling you, if you want to read about abiding in Christ, Andrew Murray's the guy. He's the guy, man. And he said this. You know, people get mad about the law, and, but you know what? The Bible's full of commands. Even the New Testament is full of commands. There's like 54 in the book of James alone. A command is a promise in a different form. Don't think about it as a command. Think about it as a promise in a different form. If you do what he says, you get what he says. And then it takes all the rebellion out of it. It's like, I can draw near to God and just do the command because it's a promise in a different form. There is grace to come to Jesus and grace to abide in Jesus. His ability keeps us is greater than our ability to stray. Think about that. His ability to keep you close, because I don't mean just coming to church. Some people got that down. But you can come in as empty 
is some of those ceremonial eggs that they put a little pinhole in and suck the egg out. You can just be this colorful shell, but you don't have anything in. I know what it's like to be empty. And I have myself programmed to basically to never get there, but I know what empty is, and I know to turn back to God because his ability is better than ours. When he says, abide in me, he offers himself. Think about it. It's abide in what? Me. It's a person. The keeper of Israel who does not sleep or slumber. It is wrong to think that the pardon and conversion are God's work and that in gratitude to God, we work to live as Christians the rest of the time. That is a hapless life. You are not under the law with its impossible do, but under grace with its blessed believe what Christ will do for you. The key is to see the words in me. Abide in me. I can make a relationship with a person. Now, I'm your typical husband, and I think I've used this illustration before, but it, it's the same. After about 20 years of marriage, Teresa goes to me, I, I need, well, she was saying it before. I just didn't hear it. I'm a typical husband. I need a little romance. And, you know, I tried to figure out the word romance for, I don't know, a few decades. Finally, after about 20, 20 years, I come back and say, look, can you give me a synonym? Can you just help me out? I'm a guy. Just help me out. I'm a guy. So she went and she thought about it. She came back and says, I got one for you. Connected. Connected for me is romance. I thought, you know what? I can do that. It's the same thing with Jesus. The word is connected. Keep yourself connected. Keep yourself connected. Just like you would with the person. Keep yourself connected. Talk with them all day long. Just keep yourself connected. We're going to go in that now in this next part. How am I doing? Good. But first, let's have a testimony from the Bible. I'm going to tell you, this, this passage bothers me. Not that one. Let's go backwards. This one. I hate this passage. This is the guy who gets healed. He's lame from his mother's womb, just to make that for sure. He didn't, it's not like he had, you know, like he was jogging and he hurt a tendon. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. Then he began to give him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have. That's the part I hate. But what I do have, but what I do have, but what I do have, I give to you. Where'd he get it? Well, he got it from Jesus, but where'd he get it? Abiding. Intimacy with God. It's the, it's the whole conference. This conference this year, you know what? You live in Madison, so yeah, yawn. Tom's yapping again. <laughs> Gonna have his intimacy with God. Let's humor Tom. Let's have one. Hey, we come from the outside. I was just talking to my son and my daughter last night, and they were saying, we were so refreshed. We were so refreshed. That's what it's for. And see, this is where they get this thing. But what I have, I give to you. I feel when I am close to God now, like a loaded gun. I feel like a loaded gun. It's like I am a weapon in the hands of God. Darkness cannot stand against what he's put in me. I didn't put it in me. I've been living with me for 60 years. I know what I got. Zero. 
I got zero. I got nothing. But when he fills it up and his kids get in front and his kids want something, bang, bang. I'm sitting in my office sometimes and I'm counseling with people and, I, you know, they're telling their thing and I'm telling them some stuff and they're telling me their thing and I'm telling my stuff and I'm going, Lord, I need a breakthrough here. I got to have something. This is like a mess. And it comes to your mind. And here, how do you know it's God? It's way better than you could think it up. And you go, I think it's this. And they go, oh, how do you know that? And you go, well, actually, I, I'm, I'm just really smart. No, <laughs> it's God. I mean, you, you figure it out. Now, a person came up Saturday, and they said, last year you were here, and you offended me. You offended me really bad. And she goes, don't feel bad. It's what I needed. And I'm thinking, you know, I think I remember that. I did feel a little bad, but it, it was, it, I felt like it was God, so I said it. It wasn't good. It worked, though. Because it was him. Because if it was you, you would have just offended him, and then they would have hated you for the rest of your life. So moment by moment. Now, here's this message. I don't know if you know what a besetting... Does anybody know what a besetting sin is? You know, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things are come. And you know what? So many things fell off me when I got born again. It is amazing. But there were a few things that didn't fall off. Did that happen to anybody else in the room? It's like, hey, hey, forgot something. <laughs> this is still here. And, and this is what I learned this year. If I want to live a life in a certain way in an area of addiction or a propensity to addiction, I cannot think about living a life free. Because living a life free is too much to process. I can't even think of living a year free. I can't even think of living a monthly. I can't even think of living a week free. You got to think about it like a moment free. And when you string a moment to a moment, you get two moments. And then when you got four, if you string a bunch of them together, you got a day. And when you string seven days together, you get a week. And what I want to point out here, for all of you who have besetting sins that are addictions, stop trying to get over it all at once forever. You need to get victory in a moment. Then you need it for an hour. Then you need it for a half a day. Then you need it for a day. Then you need it. You're going to see, if you do that, you'll just get to a week. And then you'll get to a month. And usually those things lose their power by then. But here's the key verse. Isaiah 27, 2 through 3. In that day, a vineyard of wine, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment. I water it every moment. I water it every moment. Did you get that? I water it every moment. He's the keeper. He waters it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. Everybody says the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry. Does that sound mean and angry to you? I, I'm just not seeing it right here. I mean, those people don't even know what they're talking about. This is the heart of God. It's the same compassion you see in the person of Jesus. And he's saying, look, I'm your keeper. I water it every day, every moment, so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day if you let him.
if you let him. But the secret's in moment by moment. So read something from Spurgeon. Our Lord Jesus is ever giving and does not for a solitary instant withdraw his hand. As long as there is a vessel of grace not yet full to the brim, the oil shall not be stayed. He is a sun ever shining. He is manna always falling round the camp. He is a rock in the desert ever sending out streams of life from his spitting side. The rain of his grace is always dropping. The river of his bounty is ever flowing. And the wellspring of his love is constantly overflowing. As the king can never die, so his grace can never fail. Daily we pluck fruit, and daily his branches bend down to our hand with a fresh door of mercy. You know, if I could, if I could write like that, I'd be rich. You know, we think we discovered God now. The saints have been experiencing the fullness of God in abiding in him for a long time. A really long time, folks. And I like to find people that they, they tell what they experienced. And they said, these branches are bowing down every day for the person who wants to take. I lived parts of my life where I didn't take anything for a week. I lived parts of my life where I didn't take anything for a month. Do you know what those weeks and months were like? It wasn't fun. It wasn't good. You feel like Schmeagel in the Lord of the Rings. You go, well, I feel thin. I feel, yeah, you feel thin. You're supposed to feel full, but you feel thin because you weren't there because this didn't happen to you. So the, the manna story is really this. I will rain bread from heaven for you, and people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. See, there's the abiding thing. It's not legalism, folks. I think Christina said there's somebody. It's called obedience. <laughs> it's called perseverance. It's called some of the things that we need to cultivate in order to get near to the presence of God. He doesn't need much, but you at least have to come. And then you have to come and you have to stay. And you don't even have to know how to do it, but you can say, Lord, I came and I'm staying. Could you give me something? I tell you, if you do that, you will get something. And you'll get more and more. And you will feel like I do because I cannot lie. I feel, sense, live, like something's happening or going to happen right now. I don't know how or what's coming, but Jesus will be enough. We're going through things we've never seen before, we've never done before. Here's one. Beverly finds this guy, some woman... <coughs> She's our women's pastor, so the women tell him about all their dipstick kids, and you know, the dipstick kid comes in and he's 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 a dipstick. He's there are other words. He's 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 in the office and we're we're going to pray for him and for deliverance. We start to pray for him and his nose goes poof like this, and he starts bleeding everywhere. It takes an entire box of Kleenex to wipe it up. And we're praying for him, so we take these critters out of him. He's got to go into rehab because he's a cocaine head. So he goes into, goes into rehab, but he's now delivered, right? Something happened. And he's in rehab, and he's next to this other guy who's a drunk. And this guy is an up-and-outer. He's a millionaire who lost all his money because of alcoholism. And he goes, dude, 
when you get out, go see Beverly. She's got some stuff. <laughs> and so he gets out, and this stuff starts happening in his life. So he comes in to see Beverly. And she delivers him. She goes, now you go over there to see Pastor Tom. He's going to disciple you. So right now I got two millionaires that lost all their money. I mean, this is my life. I mean, God could give us some millionaires. He doesn't. He gives us ex-millionaires. It's like, how is that working? And this guy, he goes, well, I went over there to the car wash and, and Beverly did her thing, and so now I'm over here to get repainted and reupholstered. So we're working on it. Because you got it, when you're abiding, you got this stuff. Do you remember the verse in Matthew that says, Ask, seek, knock? Look what Andrew Murray said about ask, seek, knock. Ask refers to the gifts we pray for. But I may ask and receive the gift without the giver. Seek is the word scripture uses of God himself. Christ assures me that I can find myself, uh, that I can find himself. But it is not enough to find God in time of need without coming to abiding fellowship. I mean, here's the deal. Will you abide when there's no need? Could you use your time of need to find out and calibrate the instruments so that when you don't have any need, you're there too? Because then you don't just get your need met. You're able to meet the needs of other people. And it's actually more fun to be poured out for others than to just get your mess fixed. Knock speaks of admission to dwell with him and in him. Asking and receiving the gift would thus lead to seeking and finding the giver. And this again to the knocking and opening of the door of the Father's home and love. Oh, man, I love it. So the key is to gather a portion in its day. There's this doctor, and he, he's got this kid who has a horrible car crash. I mean, the doctor knows how bad this thing is. And the, and the patient says, doctor, how long do I have to stay in this bed? And the doctor's pretty smart. He says, son, just one day at a time. You got to stay in that bed just one day at a time. Do you know what? That's a secret to being a Christian. That's the secret of this church right there. This staff, they're all learning it. The secret of many people in this church. Because I know there's, 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 there's different kinds of people here. There's the people that already know this. Then there's the people that need to know this. You do it one day at a time. If you wake up at the beginning of a week and say, I will abide in him today. Not, I'm not worried about today's Sunday. I'm going to abide in him today. Get up Monday. And say, instead of just running off and doing my whole thing, I'm going to abide in him today. It's Monday. I'm just going to do this Monday. I'm not worried about Tuesday. I'm just going to do Monday. I'm going to enjoy Jesus Monday. You've got so many ways to enjoy Jesus. Find your greatest song. Put it on. Play it till it gets to you. Right? Play it till it gets to you. You know, I learned how to abide in different experiences in my life. I took Genetics 560 down here at the University of Wisconsin. It was an ugly, bloody test. I'm like, my whole college career has passed before my eyes. I have just got enough. So I put this song on. They, they say that heaven's pretty, but living here is too. But if I had the choice, <laughs> I'd go home. And I'm like, God, I don't even want to see the grade I got in this final. Would you just take me now? 
And I got my little Arthur Ashe tennis racket, and I'm playing it to the music, and this is back when vinyl, and it's spinning, and I have to keep putting that needle over there. This is not an iPad with the... Re- I'm just doing this thing. And you know what? Something came on me. And it said, son, it's not even important. In the scheme of your life, this test is not even important. And that was enough to make it through the night and get up in the morning and actually go down and find out that wasn't that bad. It wasn't that good, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> There's a couple things I could say at night and day, but I'm just going to... I'm just going to keep going here to the end. Can you get this point about doing it one day at a time? Now, think about Christians in the 1800s, late 1800s. This is, this is Andrew Murray saying, Each time thou hast, amidst the bustle of duty, the opportunity of self-recollection, that means you have self-consciousness, let its first involuntary act be, I am still in Christ, abiding in him now even when overtaken by sin, and he art within, and in the, in the, in the heart within is all disturbed and excited. Oh, let thy first look upwards be with the word, Father, I have sinned, and yet I come, though I blush to say it, as one who is in Christ. See, when you sin, you're not out of Christ. You're still in Christ, right? As one in Christ. Father, here I am. I can take no other place. Of God, I am in Christ. I now abide in Christ. Do you see how Christians do that? What does the devil do? He makes a sin, and then we stay away from God for three days. Well, I can't have a quiet time for three days because I sinned. Well, whose, whose voice are you listening to? That's the devil. Do whatever you did and get right up and go back to God. I mean, it's like, Paul was a murderer. He went to God. I'm not saying murder somebody and then go to God, but I'm, <laughs> I'm saying he would, I got to quit, so I'm going. I'm done. I'll just finish with this. Nothing gives a man more dignity than knowing he can hear the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice. So bow your heads and let's stand. We're going to finish with this. You were created as one of God's sheep to hear his voice every day, to abide in him. Many of you know how to do it, but for some of you, this might be the very first time to begin the journey to hear God's voice. So if you just pray with me, let's pray for you and receive from God. Lord Jesus, I'm one of your sheep and I want to hear your voice. I want to hear it every day and I want to hear it every day of the week. The musicians are going to come. The prayer people are going to come. If you've been touched by this and you've been away, you're a prodigal, come up and get prayer. If you're dry, come up and get prayer. This is a day right here. We just wait on God. We pray for each other to what? To get filled. The power of the church is not one pastor being a hot dog. It's everybody in the church knowing Jesus. Every person in the church close to Jesus. That's the power of the church. So they're going to play. Prayer teams are coming down. We're going to pray for you. And if you need to go, you can go in the presence of the Lord but it's abide in me, Jesus says. Amen.